Welcome, one and all, to Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Anybody has to go, now's the time. Do not make me turn this car around. Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 109, All Those Who Wander, comes to you now via venomous toxin reproductive spray ducts. Pete, uh, just a bit of news from the fleet before we arrive at the episode uh, in another galaxy. We did our Obi-Wan Kenobi wrap yesterday, hopeful that there will be more, but knowing that that might not be the case. Yeah, I mean, the opportunities are there, maybe held up by some Emmy intrigue, uh, whether or not they would announce that so soon. But uh, yeah, we will have to wait and see. And this upcoming Thursday or Thorsday, we'll be going to see uh, Thor Love and Thunder and then, of course, podcasting that a week and a day from today, which will be Monday, July 11th. 7-Eleven, baby, will have the penultimate Ms. Marvel streaming this week and provide our podcast of that for you uh, as well. Matt, Strange New Worlds has wrapped season two. Which, on the one hand, should not be surprising. I understand lead time for editing and music and special effects and all of that, but also like here we are watching a thing that they finished last summer, and here it is this summer where they've finished filming a thing that we they probably actually won't... filmed it uh, as late as like September. Wow. Um, but again, just this notion that we're not going to see episode 210 uh, for another year or year plus, you know, again, that is the way it is. It is the way a lot of these shows are. But um, I guess, if nothing else, weird synchronicity that the end of season one is almost here and the end of season two is in the can. Speaking of the end of season one, one more left, Matt, and we are advising people to stay the hell away from any details on social media ahead of time as there are already major spoilers out there. I was scrolling through Instagram and you know, here's uh, a great picture of somebody's dog. Here's uh i don't know uh shenanigans going on at the jersey shore oh here's something from strange new worlds it must be like a behind the scenes thing for 109 it was like captain emergency from planet such and such i'm like wait this doesn't sound like this week's episode this is from the season finale scroll away scroll away so pete i appreciate even though you are hashtag team spoiler i appreciate you spreading the word of everyone's ability to remain spoiler free if they so choose it's going to be a big one uh yeah uh you're going to want to stay away if if you don't want the details if not you can watch it and yeah you get some pretty big indications as what's coming in uh a uh supersized finale at least i know pete they're never ever going to kill off spock at least there's that for now though let's head into the mission briefing As a giant hand grabs a strawberry, Cadet Uhura narrates a personal log on Stardate 2510.6 that her assignment on Enterprise is over. After they complete their current mission to deliver Vidium power cells to Deep Space Station K7, she'll return to Earth. As a breakfast is held to honor her, and the other soon-to-depart cadet, Chia, she's excited to see her grandmother since their last call was cut short. She rotated through almost all departments, which we see the top of every one of everything at their stations, who all know they belong in Starfleet, where they've always wanted to be. But it was where she ran after she lost her parents. Number one taps her wrist at Captain Pike, who speechifies about cadets Chia and Uhura due to leave them in a couple weeks. He praises them and acknowledges they've seen and survived some things together, uh, bonded forever by the family that is Starfleet. He then calls Ensign Duke front and center, but number one opens up a case as he is promoted to lieutenant. 
Ortega's admonishes Ahura for still shying away from the crowd, and Ahura asks her superior officer for permission to speak freely. She hates goodbyes. Pike knows better than to beat a dead horse about her staying, but she's made an impact, and there will always be a place for her on Enterprise. Boy, Matt, it's really disappointing that she's leaving. Uh, the notion of a Cadet Uhura first shared, you know, these many months or over a year ago and so forth when there was a character reveals, hey, uh, of course, that's a neat starting point for this legacy character that's existed for 50 plus years. Uh, the notion that she was new to the ship. Hey, that's a great way to introduce her at the beginning of the season. Um, and of course, her rotating through was an opportunity for we, the audience, to meet other people. I have to admit, Pete, beyond that, I had not really thought of the Cadet Uhura situation as a story device and returning here to something that was stated, you know, up front in her first, uh, you know, the first episode to focus on her in regards to her not being sure of her place here, uh, I thought was a great kind of bookend i know we're not at the end of the season but it kind of was like huh i i see what you're doing i know where you're coming from but i didn't see that particular story twist uh coming of course this whole breakfast uh, having done its story job is now uh interrupted by a priority one mission from starfleet that's the word down from spock there but by the way where is laan she has some scheduled personal health time Pike calls a round table. Uh, Laon shows up in due course, having been with a head shrinker, talking about her troubles and such, she says a bit dismissively. Pike reports that the USS Peregrine uh, has turned on an emergency beacon. A uh, little space math is done. It took two days for the signal to get from the Peregrine to Starfleet, and then another two days for it to be bounced to Enterprise. Pete, that's a total of four days of trouble. We see Spock doing the dishes, uh, indeed kind of, Spock, here, do the dishes while we talk in a delightful little little moment of humor. He says that the ship descended into a Class L planet. Uh, the signal has been interrupted by all sorts of uh, official science fiction things and stuff that are on the surface. Uh, it's mentioned that the Peregrine is a somber class ship. Ooh, Pete, that has me so excited to see a brand new Starship design. <laughs> Can't wait, you know, as a as a fictional starfleet engineer in the future can't wait to see what they've cooked up here uh it moves super fast they note the federation wants the crew to be rescued and the ship to be saved if possible i personally felt pete that they maybe in the narrative underplayed the idea that the ship should be saved if possible yes they said it but i wish they could have said like because if we don't there's all sorts of bad things because later on pete that's kind of the excuse for them hanging around as they play in a Ridley Scott, James Cameron movie. Yes. Uh, and Benga served on one of these Sombra class. Um, they're fast and they're built with constitution class parts. So they look identical and there's no need to come up with a new model. Uh, or new hallways or bridge, etc. Um, which I, I, I hope Pete listeners know that, it's more compliment than not uh, that they've come up with the story reason why it's going to look like the set that they built at the beginning of the season. Uh, but Pete, let's not forget. Okay. And Laon doesn't forget that space station K seven uh, home to other star Trek hijinks throughout the ages uh, needs those power cells. Nonetheless, the power cells degrade and whatnot. So we have a ticking clock there. We have a ticking clock with the Peregrine situation. Pike is going to lead the mission uh, to save the peregrine he's going to bring some cadets with him number one will remain in charge of the ship uh and uh pike's going to be in charge of the station wagon don't make him turn this car around and other amusing old-timey uh references that for a lot of the, the young folks there on the ship they have no idea what he's talking about two shuttlecrafts descend to the planet as they lose comms and land with the peregrine sitting awkwardly on the surface sam kirk says it's going to be a hike as Spock explains, geothermal anomalies force them to land several kilometers away so they can use the VR wall, and they're due to be overrun by an ice storm in six hours, so there's another story clock. Pete, they're wearing goggles and leather. My question to you, Pete, are they X-Men? The answer <laughs> is no, because there's no Patrick Stewart here, but 
they could be X-Men. Uh, Hemmer, however, likes the wind. It's like Andoria. Pete hurts to recap that line. And uh, no backstory uh, coming at all. No checking in about forming bonds with family and about what might keep you with a crew instead of going back with your grandmother. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Spock calls Duke an ensign and Sam Kirk notes that Spock now owes Duke a drink. Uh, this is another human drinking game. Spock says he would roll his eyes if he was so inclined. I, I, I must admit, Pete, as somebody who uh, tries to live life pretty responsibly, the notion of another human drinking game did make me chuckle a bit. Uh, as Spock, I suppose, judges all of us. Like Spock, I also lament the number, and I have never played one, wow. and never will. La'an scans the perimeter. Uh, Mbenga has no life signs on his scanner. There's just so much interference. La'an is seeing something, though. Uh, it's not a scanning problem. She sees blood! We go to the credits. This episode written by Davy Perez and directed by Christopher J. Byrne. Uh, out, coming out of the credits, we have a close-up view of something uh, from the inside. Uh, outside, the uh, Enterprise crew is trying to get in. Uh, we see that the glass is freezing. Pete, is this deadly ice like on Star Trek Discovery? The answer is no. However, inside the ship, Pete, there's more blood. There is. Pike orders a full diagnostic. Ahura says comms are still down and environmental systems are at 20%. Spock says the bridge is offline and someone hardwired it to engineering. Hemmer finds plasma in the main circuits, likely because they were using energy from the warp core ejectors for emergency power. And Ahura says that the matter-antimatter reactor is broken. Pike asks Hem, because, you know, the first time we ever use a nickname for Hemmer, and his final episode doesn't tell us maybe the end is near. Uh, if he can't fix it uh, and he thinks he might be able to if he works from engineering, Spock will attempt to restore bridge function. And Lon enters having found 20 bodies so far, one of whom was the captain as she hands Pike her badge. She does note that when looking at the roster, there could be almost 70 more people elsewhere, either casualties or alive. Uh, she notes that the elements have torn apart the suits, uh, as have wildlife or something else. Mbenga notes that the crew likely left the ship, got caught in the storm, and then got lost. Outside, Sam Kirk notes to Chapel that this is a creepy place after dark. Am I right? Uh, it's creepy already, though, particularly as Cadet Chia has found bodies pete maybe bodies arranged by white walkers or is that another show entirely a totally different show although it'd be cool if they'd done it in a starfleet delta ahura can only get audio of captain gavin's log from stardate not even sure maybe a week since they crashed they were mapping non-federation space when they found three castaways on an m-class planet a human girl not named newt a humanoid of unknown origin and an Orion named Pasco, but they didn't know Pasco was infected with gone eggs. The biofilters didn't detect and the Orion set off a plasma grenade in engineering to end the suffering, which triggered the automatic distress call. Uh, Captain Gavin would have told Starfleet to stay away knowing the chances they wouldn't survive. Pike asks Lon what she wants to do, and of course she wants to kill the Gorn, but she wants to look for survivors. Ohora has ops online and detects two life signs on deck, five, one human, the other not. And part of Captain Gavin's message, uh, don't come, don't help if you're watching this, chances are we didn't survive, so the stakes made clear. Uh, Hemmer is told to keep the power going where he can, maybe improve the situation. I don't know. As the episode continues, Pike leads rifles up with Uhura and La'an. Pike finds a mangled body. The camera lingers on it. 
The trio keep going, and Pike sees a shadow. Uh, they find an alien. Uh, Pete, this is your your blue alien, not your green alien. The universal translator is not working. Uhura, do something. She says that's not how language works, but uh, does read the situation, uh, saying, lower your weapons. This blue alien is protecting something, someone. Pike and La'an do so. Uh, Uhura talks softly to him, and she and the alien make their way into the next room, and they find a young human girl, uh, who again, Pete, is not going to be named Newt for this episode. Uh, the makeshift shelter here with the fire keeping them warm. Spock asks Chapel for dermal synthesizers for uh, Duke's burn wound. He was too proud to come to her, and Spock doesn't take pride because of the teachings of Sorak. Chapel understands the strong primal nature of Vulcans, and he says uh, it can surface without proper mindfulness. And she says it's good to get mad sometimes. Elsewhere, Uhura is uh, saying goodbye to Hammer, uh, which is prophetic in the in the, the rearview mirror. She's read the script, Matt. <laughs> Indeed, uh, but here she's saying goodbye because she does not plan on cycling back around in Starfleet, despite Hammer saying, you know, people have a, a way of crossing paths again, uh, which is also interesting, Pete, based on some of the things that uh, Bruce Horak has said. But more on that later. Uhura says that she's been drifting; she needs to stop coasting in Starfleet. Hammer finds it interesting that uh, the fear, her fear, is being alone. He thought that since she makes friends easily, her fear uh, would actually be putting down roots. It's better to leave than being the one left behind. This is a gift, and the love of bonds will yield better results than the hurt. So some real wisdom there out of Hammer. Um, the girl tells Mbenga she calls her alien friend Buckley and tells him at chapel her name is Oriana. Uh, Ma'an asks if uh, he's checking them thoroughly, and Abenga says there are no anomalies. Lon presses Oriana about the gorn eggs, and Abenga slips and calls Oriana his daughter. Yes, uh, my daughter, my patient, uh, Pike finds that all the scans are clean and La'an says that Oriana has been missing for two years, so they're probably refugees from a Gorn breeding planet. The Pike, Gorn! Pike's going to continue the search, and Mbenga reflects on how uh, songs can make us emotional, but it's actually about reflecting one's own emotion. Uh, Pete, why is he talking about music? Well, this applies to La'an, yes, but Mbenga more. He notes that Oriana needs someone who knows a similar path, someone to help her see the light. The implication being that that's La'an. Elsewhere, Spock is looking around, hearing distant noises. He searches further, seeing blood on the floor, signs that something has been pulled into a vent. All of a sudden, there's a hand on his shoulder. It's Pike and Mbenga, and Spock looks spooked in a really great acting moment where there's both no emotion and emotion and Boy, is he walking that line that uh, Leonard Nimoy used to walk so uh, ably as well. In sickbay, Buckley has started wheezing, and Chapel notes his elevated heart rate. Chia is going to give him a physical, as Oriana seems to know what's coming, seeking refuge and covering her mouth. One gone bursts out and kills Chia as Chapel watches another emerge and kill yet another, objects clatter and the gone use heat vision as Chapel runs to a bio bed and activates a force field. Uh, we get an act break somewhere in there, and then we head back to Spock, who uh, hears something as Mbenga patches up Duke, but everything's okay. Then two Gorn babies grab Duke, blood everywhere, pulling him away into the darkness. Blood is literally on Spock's hands, uh, and the statement is made that we need to alert the crew. We go back to Chapel, who whispers out to Oriana, not getting a response, then lowers that field. She softly steps off the bed. Good, good tension here. Good sound design where we can barely hear the footsteps. Whispering again for Oriana. She can't find the girl. Boom! Lon is there all of a sudden seeing the body. 
She notes four Gorn hatchlings with one dead. That means that there's three around. Chapel asks not once but twice, what do we do? You see, Pete, when our heroes don't know what to do, we feel their peril. Laon says to scan for biosignatures. Chapel nods but doesn't do it. Laon does it herself. There's still no comms and uh, confirmation that the Gorn do not appear on the scans. They seem to have found a way to avoid them. Lon gives Chapel in shock here a phaser rifle, tells her to watch the ceilings and shoot anything that moves as they look for Oriana and find her in her original spot, the coldest in the ship where Laon would have hid. The crew tricked the gone into going outside, but now they're back. And if they leave, they'll die. But she doesn't mention if they mostly come at night. Mostly. Uh, Laon does believe in her crew, though, uh, even in their ability to defeat the Gorn, because they're surviving and there's living. In engineering, Hemmer puts plugs in and there's positive lights. Everything's going to be A-OK. Team Hamura strikes again. There you go. Uh, They fire things up. Then all of a sudden there are alerts. There's an alien cry and Hemmer smells human blood. Elsewhere, Pike and Sam Kirk see that the power is on. Sam says that uh, they're safely outside the ship. Um, or, or pardon me, that there is safety, not safely. That They would be safe to go outside the ship. Pike says no, and Kirk fumes. If you can imagine, Pete, a Kirk man led by passion and emotion and all that. Comms are now working, and Pike orders all to sick bay. Watch your six. In engineering, though, there's alien sounds. There's a big boy coming after them. Uh, that's a big boy, Gorn. One of them spits on Hemmer, uh, and Laon shoots at it. Yes, that bigger Gorn eating the other baby Gorn, which hadn't gotten big yet. So now we're down to just two. Um, and Hemmer shielding Ohura from that uh, as the party of Laon, Chapel, and Oriana scare the bigger one off. Spock finds it fascinating that the Gorn's biological makeup renders them invisible to sensors, which in Benga notes is uh, genetically chameleon, uh, which is how he missed them in Buckley. The maturity cycle depends on the host, as the Orion took weeks, humans take days, nothing about Orians or uh, Enor. Uh, So maybe we'll find out in this episode, Matt. Uh, Spock notes that the Gorn mouth ducks expel a venomous toxin meant to blind victims. So Hammer, uh, who says it burns tremendously, probably wasn't the best target. Uh, And again, this biology impressive to Spock. Uh, The word makes Sam Kirk fume. Doesn't this hurt you? Make you feel the loss of Duke, the risk for all of us? Pike uh, has Kirk. A little take a moment there. Calm down. Uh, and Hemmer wants to say that the Navcom is the only system left uh, to reboot. So all they need to do at this point is take out the Gorn. Then they can get the Navcom up and running so they can, you know, save this ship that for unclear story reasons can't just be torpedoed from space and everybody can't run away other than, I get it, we're doing alien aliens and haunted house and all of that. But I digress, Pete. Uh, it is reiterated for us that the younglings are fighting for dominance. They are highly intelligent, even at this stage, Lon tells us. Running your basic choke point uh, plan won't work. They're smarter than that. They're clever girls, if you will, Pete. Uhura says uh, to have them, the solution is to have them come at us. Lon uh, will use environmental controls in concert with that, uh, making the goodies bait. They're going to cool the ship and keep the Gorn on the move. On the bridge, Pike logs into bridge controls. They start to cool the ship as part of the plan. The the uh, bay is going to be, the cargo bay is going to be the, the catch point. Hammer, of course, it's been previously established in other episodes, will not take a life, but he will protect lives with uh, w- with Spock and with his crew. Laon and Chapel are prepping too, and Laon is ready to fight. Nothing she'd rather do. Uhura is going to be the bait that is chased and Spock lets the rage out 
Uh, as that happens, Hemmer sees that the two remaining Dagon uh, have boxed him in. Um, and then they begin to turn on each other. But we don't need to show that because we can use the sound design and keep the effects cost down. Uh, absolutely. Um, although I do like how you've highlighted there, Pete, that the Gorn are smart enough to have been boxing Spock in. So the threat held high. Uh, through the door, uh, as you say, they're fighting. The Alpha is going to win. Uh, then La'an hopefully adds he'll be able to go home. Uh, La'an heads uh, towards Hemmer, taunting the Alpha to follow. She throws her phaser. Fight me! Roar! Uh, she doesn't say the word roar. She kind of roars. Uh, it comes out to her, and she runs. Hemmer hides in a pod. La'an uh, follows suit. It starts to break through the glass, and Hemmer pushes a button, spraying cold gas uh, onto La'an's pod. We get an icy act break. Laan opens the pod. Is the Gorn frozen solid? Question mark. She smashes it to pieces. Nice uh, puppet slash model design here because there's like yellow on the inside mm -hmm. and green on the outside. So it gives the sense of internal and external. So it's smashed to pieces. Pete, Gornsicle. A Gornsicle indeed. Unless we're going to Terminator 2 it where it comes back <laughs> together. We are in the clear here. And Benga reports that it's dead. Happy ending here hammer exiting his pod there's a sense of relief uh kirk says that that's the last of them um but laon has some concerns uh hammer wants to go outside he knows his body well that spray wasn't venom it's how they reproduce yeah we'll discuss that in theories and laon's tremendous body of experience with the gorn here in a little bit uh chapel wants pike uh, from the bridge to open the door, but he can't. That's because Hemmer overrode it, so they couldn't stop him. Chapel says that she can extract the eggs, and Mbenga can neutralize the growth process, but Hemmer says if they had more time, he's sure they could, but it is too late. With Spock there, he tells his friend to live long and prosper and on the other side of a door to engineering ahura pleads with him and he leaves her with one last piece of advice to open herself and she'll find joy more often than sadness he tells her not to weep that he had a good life and he steps through the force field to feel the winds just like anduria before sacrificing himself and leaping to his death. There's a quiet transition to the Enterprise towing and pulling the down ship. Uh, Ortegas speaks at the memorial for, uh, for Hemmer and, and the other two dead. That's Chia and Duke. If only we had known them better. Um, and Ortegas uh, gives a, a really heartfelt speech. Ortegas not given a ton in this episode, but I think given the emotional linchpin here. She wishes that she could have had another conversation with him, little gentle razzing, called him a blue meanie, and they all could have laughed. That would have turned this gathering into feeling something like less than a funeral. Uhura notes that she was pushed by Hemmer to be better and to do better. Chapel looks at Spock, the latter of which, uh, who has fists clenched, Uhura is still speaking. She was taught how to fix what was broken. Uh, Hemmer did that. Spock, in a rage, leaves, and Chapel follows. She finds uh, Spock punching a wall, denting it, uh, telling her not to follow. Uh, she reaches for him, and he grabs her arm. I think there's a moment of, of uh, concerning tension there. Uh, however, they, they share a moment, and she wants to know what's going on. He says he can't control his emotions, but he has let something out, rage and pain. She says it's his emotions. Uh, he concludes that his mind has gone weak. No, no, she says it's made him human and hugs him. Uh, and after a moment, he hugs her back, a really tender moment. The hug breaks, and then they are very close until he steps away. Pike, in his quarters here, talks to Lon. Uh, she's found a lead on Oriana's family. 
and uh, wants to pursue this, but she can't be part of Starfleet if she's going to do it the way that she wants. Uh, it's outside of Federation space. So uh, in a shakeup that will not impact the uh, cast at all because she's been seen in a photo with the James Kirk actor on the streets of Toronto, they attempt to sell us that she's leaving the show. Pete, that's proof that there's an exception to every rule. I was uh, emotionally saddened by the notion that she's leaving the Enterprise, uh, but also heartened by the fact that I know she's back next season because of that very leak. So sometimes spoilers are okay. Uh, but the episode concludes on the bridge where number one, who you might remember Pete is part of this show, uh, is sitting in the, the captain's chair or her steps on the camera, really favoring a view from her station, the communication station and the camera pulls out the lights glowing, seeming to invite her as a hail comes in to end the episode. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with nature itself, the threat of the ice storm. That they create a reason for them to have to go into the Peregrine and stay there and ultimately fight this life-or-death battle against the Gorn. Uh, they really story-proof everything within this episode with one exception um but it all works yeah i think that it would have been nice if there was i know i had said earlier like if they really hammered home why the peregrine needed to be uh retained i think maybe that was part of it and got lost in the process of writing to shooting to editing similarly i would have liked a mid-episode like but we can go outside, says angry Kirk in the scene where he's angry. And, you know, and like, no, the ice storm would kill us. Like, I think one more kind of reminder he, he there. He did say that. He did say it, it would be lethal. I feel like it could have been hammered home just a bit more, though, kind of is my point. Um, particularly as it's like, but you mean we can't run to the shuttles? Oh, don't forget they're several kilometers away. Like, don't get me wrong. All the pieces are there. But I think... Um, it would have been appreciated if it was tightened up just a little bit more, particularly Pete, since they are facing this iconic threat here of, do you want to say it again, Pete? The Gorn. Um, look, if you're gonna do different episodes of Strange New Worlds in different styles, uh, many of them kind of, you know, classic Trek type styles, uh, the Pleasure Planet, the dress up holodeck you know uh, simulation kind of thing and so forth you want to then also crib from alien and aliens that's a great idea there's not a lot of scary star trek out there when star trek does horror though i think they have a fairly successful track record i mean you you think back to the end of season one of the next generation and you know the the bug uh conspiracy episode that was going to be the thing until they turned into the Borg um set up over the course of several episodes hey hey Matt are are we're not getting a response from Starfleet Command in this episode that's kind of funny <laughs> um you are right the next generation tried to go there and then kind of general fan feedback was the bug episode was really gross and not not star trek um and then they, still they were going to stick with it but bug prosthetics are were more expensive than robot prosthetics so that that threat that's out there kind of became the borg um i i, I do like pete that we've we've found the cons the, the bones of that conspiracy episode we found in this episode which is you know, bugs are popping out of people and so forth. You know what I mean? Like th th there's a gross out factor to this that I think is in line with modern TV. I, I have to confess, Pete, I don't even know if this was rated TVMA or maybe I just don't notice that anymore, but definitely a slightly more mature episode. Um, and one where I think the horror was really effective. On maturity, Lon tells us 
that one adult Gorn they'd never survive against. So we know it's not going to happen because we've never seen an adult one until Kirk steps into arena. Um, which again is in line with the overall mission to kind of, you know, be respectful of Canon, but no one's no one in this production was going to say when they made a really genuinely great rubber outfit for a couple of stunt guys to nearly uh, dehydrate in, uh, in the California desert that is still a Los Angeles County park um, back there in the 1960s. Like we need to remain truthful to the fact that this guy couldn't see and was worried about falling and ripping the costume. So he moved slow. Like, we're not going to lean into the things that couldn't be done in the sixties. We're going to lean into the fact that it's maybe the most iconic bad guy alien from classic Trek, maybe the most iconic bad guy alien in all of star Trek. I mean, maybe second to the Borg or up there with the Borg. So like, we're just going to do what they wanted to do, which is have a really scary, iconic species. And we're going to do it with today's technology and not be worried about how it ties into a rubber suit from 1967. They did the eyes in the heat vision. You could see the, the multi multi, you know, lens aspect of it. So we don't need to, you know, see that from the outside and to do it through the other parts of the life cycle. Okay. You've got the hatchlings, then they molt, then they're kind of like dinosaurs and to still preserve the fully adult unseen, even though Captain Lorca had a full-on skeleton in his little uh, chamber of horrors. Yeah, and I think clear to all that that was because he was evil Captain Lorca, not because like the Science Commission came along and was like, hey, Gabe, here's a thing that we've studied. Uh, so it all works, and it works really well. And I think in this way that... Strange New Worlds kind of cycles through storylines. The fact that we've gotten the Gornar bad episode already, now we kind of get the Gornar worse. Pete lets use our long-range sensors to scan for theories. Pete, oh, it was so nice seeing Bruce Horak, you know, at the world premiere and so forth, and Knowing that he was a part of these episodes, I know there's some podcast listeners who are real fans of the Hemmer character, fans fans of the actor. Guess we won't see him anymore, right? He has been cleared and said this in an interview uh, now that this character has died, that he will be returning to Trek. Uh, Pete, shades of Jeffrey Combs, shames, uh, shades of what was done with uh, Kenneth Mitchell's uh, wonderful performances uh, in Discovery. I think it's a neat Star Trek element to plan. Um, and you can you can speak to more on this as a moment to plan from the outset. This character does not make it out of the season, but the actor does. Um, a, that's a great kind of a great idea, and B. That was how he was hired. Is that right, Pete? He was told at the outset. Um, and really, Matt, the character's purpose is to anchor Uhura to the Enterprise. So now, you know, when we watch Nichelle Nichols in the original series, she is there because of this character. Um, and, you know, the resonance that it brings to that. You know, an actress at one point ready to leave the show called by Martin Luther King. Hey, hey, no, you can't do this. It's too important for uh, people to know that there will be uh, people of color, a black woman like yourself on the bridge of a futuristic uh, starship where we've eliminated uh, poverty and hunger and disease and war and racism uh, that you would be there. And this set up retroactively by a character uh, and an actor um, who has a disability. 
it, it really is the height of the formula that we've discussed on this podcast and in general to kind of hit that sweet spot of nostalgia and canon, but bending when you need to, but not breaking and so forth. And yeah, the fact, obviously the line, you know, there always will be a place on Enterprise for Nyota Uhura. Like, okay, obviously they're saying that with a lot of <laughs> knowledge of the last 50 plus years of the character being on the enterprise how but... will they get her to stay in this episode they just did a goodbye breakfast right right which leads to next week's episode and i know pete you know i'm certainly running 100 spoiler free and i know you are <laughs> good luck that. people that's <laughs> well, all i gotta say it's got to make it to thursday um so let me this way, uh, Pete, I will share observations and you can agree or disagree or not okay. say anything on it. As I know at all. <laughs> it, it would be. You would ask me previously if we would see the Gorn again this season. And yeah, I knew episode nine. I didn't know they were going to kill um, Hammer off, uh, but I knew we were going to have the, the big uh, aliens set piece in this episode. By the way, Pete, the prospect of, you know, Bruce Horak obviously a cast member right he his name has not appeared in the credits for every episode so i don't know if, if it's one of those you know kind of contractual things that we've seen in more recent times where you know you're part of the cast but whatever the notion that next week we're probably not getting bruce horak although they could theoretically introduce his new character in it but probably safe to say certainly no hammer next week right the prospect of possibly no uhura although the way this episode ends it's a little bit you know, a question mark, the possibility of no Laan. It's just interesting that we have all of these characters who are great characters, not all of them used every week, looking at you, number one, who's barely in two scenes. Um, but just that, like, they have so many characters that for emotional and story reasons, they don't need all those, all those figures on the, the Starship playset for the finale. They've also set up a situation where they now need an engineer. Yeah. And I wonder, here would be my, here'd be my writing room pitch. You want to do Scotty? That's a season two thing. I would not do it next week just because uh, people, obviously in the writing room, they wouldn't know if people dug um, Hammer or not, but I think they knew Hammer was a character that was built for ultimate cool. Um, I would feel a little put out if any replacement engineer comes next week, let alone if it's like, oh, we're so sad. You know, Hammer, oh, such sadness. But look out, it's cool young Scotty. He's got sideburns because he's cool. Um, could you do it? Sure. I'd say if nothing else, it could be like one month later or something like that to at least give us the emotional space, if not kind of the chronological time. Deep Space Station K7, Matt, not just known for your tribbles. Uh, true. Also known for your your time incursion, what with uh, the crew of the Defiant going back there in one of the most fun episodes of Star Trek ever. Um, so if you're going to choose any place to not go see and to not rebuild in... You know, I don't know if they do a redesign or if they just use the digital assets for the TOS remastery, but you want to go now inside it and reimagine all these sets, fine. Or you could be like, actually, the story is not going to go there, but number one will. So in your hearts, you could be thinking about K7. Let me ask you this, Pete. Do you think we see K7 on screen, uh, you know, in the next 11 episodes? Or is that was that just a fun uh, quasi Easter egg? I don't know with today's technology if you could make it look like before and make that somehow seem convincing so we'll have to wait and see um any other thoughts for how about this what does the show need to do in its season one finale from an emotional end what do you think are, are, are the are the must the must do's that are on the list Knowing what I know, I have to really consider what I say here. I think the rousing end that's coming will be fitting. P, 
repeat. Time will tell on that. Let's circle back squarely to this episode. Uh, any other theories about uh, about this episode? So all of Lon's experience with the gone and Hammer gets sprayed and she doesn't know he's carrying eggs. Um, are you asking that for story criticism purposes or because you think Laon knew what was you know, like, like knew what was up and was just biding her time to deal with the larger situation? I, I take some of that. Like we talk all the time. It, it can take a line of dialogue. I knew he was infected. Why, why is she suddenly Australian? Uh, well, uh, because Pete, uh, she has some family members that are on the, the botany bay. Botany bay. <laughs> um, I'm going to argue against that line. And here's why Pete, if she says, I knew all along that as soon as Hammer was sprayed, he was a goner. Unless of course we quick ran him out to the shuttle. Like just me and Hammer ran out to the shuttle and quick got back to the enterprise or got to what, like it, it, such a line would make her complicit directly complicit versus I think it's a fun story area to say, I really like Hemmer as a character. I dig Laon as a character, even though I'm not kind of emotionally close to her because she has this wall up. What's the wall? Oh, it's this incredibly terrible experience that she had with the Gorn as a child. Um, it keeps her away from connecting with people. It makes her a better security chief. So when she knows possibly or it's possible that if she knows someone has been uh infected with gorn eggs she's going to do the mental calculus and say we still still need you as bait or button pusher or whatever and that's not a right now problem that's a later problem we need to solve the right now problem getting the last gorn and then if a choice needs to be made a phaser fired a trip out of the cargo bay door whatever it is that's that'll be dealt with when that's dealt with but cool comic collected Laon isn't going to pull the trigger before she has to, even if she knows the trigger needs to be pulled. That she's meeting with Dr. Sanchez now and she's seeking counseling for her experiences at, uh, you know, her mentor, her, her, uh, rescuer number one's behest shows the growth. Maybe, she was never around when somebody got sprayed to know that that spread it. That's believable as well. Less believable, Matt, is that we're doing dishes on a starship with replicators. Uh, well, Pete, I saw a whole video in the last week that was eviscerating Kurt's Trek because Janeway did a the flashback episode with Sulu and said there were no replicators intercut with people using replicators in Kurt's Trek. No replicators says Janeway footage slowed down. Rep so uh, a couple of thoughts. First of all, uh, I could give two hoots like where we're at with replicator technology in this show. However, I will say this. Um, it is generally true. How about this way? In classic Trek, there were not replicators like we see in next generation. There was the, food order wall thing which looks more like a replicator to me than an automat but fine i'll grant you, you there's still no replicators um pete maybe they're doing dishes because there are no replicators now you might say but don't they have you know ensigns or non-commissioned people in the vague way that star trek does ranks to come and do the dishes uh jonathan archer had somebody delivering his food sure how about this though pete in yeah, the future jonathan breaks <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <Making> it. <laughs> there you go. Um, I think I think here's the in-universe answer for why they're doing dishes. In the future, when you have such luxuries, you still might be undertaking certain things uh, for other reasons. For example, Pete, uh, from a basic calorie perspective, okay, any one of us could be going to McDonald's every night if you want to. However, why is it that sometimes food is prepared at home? It's not just... You know, because McDonald's every night will kill you. Um, but, there, you know, there's also kind of the pleasure, the community, the the sharing and all of that. So I think that the notion of we have shared a meal, we will then clean up from the meal together as a crew as we do things all together. I think that's probably your best in-universe emotional answer. In space, no one can hear you clean. 
With that, Pete, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. We go to our Twitter poll, Pete, where the question was not how you would rate this episode, but which cinematic quote did you like best from episode 109? I have to admit, Pete, I goofed. I meant to include Predator, and I somehow drew a blank when I was putting it together. So it actually kind of weirdly worked out well, because the lowest vote here was for Jurassic Park, which there was some Jurassic Park, you know, Clever Girl, they're working together, they're hunting together. That got 4.5%, okay? Now for the other three options, Pete. Wrath of Khan, I was hinting to people that somebody dies. Wrath of Khan, 31.8%. Alien. Uh, Wrath of Lawn, there you go. Alien, okay, 31.8%. And then Aliens, 31.8%. So I think things worked out well in that, generally speaking, everybody liked the major stuff that this episode pulled from. Alien, Aliens, and Wrath of Khan. We heard from James the Sagacious, Big Killin' on Twitter. The kitchen scene was amazing. Great setup for the high stakes that came after. Tough loss family, but we'll be okay. Next, Pete, Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC 139 I have to say, Pete, I have not read this tweet yet. I have been worried about Spider-Ham Lincoln since I saw this episode. Uh, he has shared throughout these last nine weeks how much he enjoys the character of Hammer. So I want to make sure Spider-Ham Lincoln is okay with the loss of Hammer. Let's see here. Um, the episode was a great episode, and it royally sucked. Uh, underline or redacted's loss, we can say now, Ham, uh, Pete, Hammer's loss was a gut punch, and I hate it. There wasn't enough time to get to know them, and I feel like the fans were robbed. I just hope that person is frequently referenced and never forgotten. For me, this was a Firefly wash level shock. Suffice yeah. it to say, uh, suffice to say, I do not like the reason Uhura decides to stay in Starfleet. And as much as it pains me to say, I hope the death stays permanent. This was too emotional of an ending to cheapen it uh, by somehow bringing them back in the next episode or next season. But maybe we'll get a mirror counterpart one day, which would be awesome. That's me saying it would be awesome. Uh, the fate of the red shirts introduced at the beginning were easily telegraphed, but the departure of the two mains was not. The Ripley-Newt comparison was glaring in this alien's homage, and Sam Kirk was clearly channeling Bill Paxton's Private Hudson. <laughs> The continued tension between Spock and Chapel is deliciously uneasy. That's a great phrase to describe that. And Mbenga is uh, rightfully still grieving his daughter. How this will affect him going forward? Is this a catalyst for him eventually being replaced as chief medical officer? Again, I really like this episode, but man, it sucked. We hear from Andre Yeager at Dr. Apollo in 1983. No spoilers, but I was exhausted after this episode. My eyes might have been leaking a little bit as well. Not sure what happened. Uh, we hear from Single Since Obama, Kylie G328. I'm heartbroken by the latest amazing episode. I won't spoil it here, but I knew it was a dead meat episode from minute one in Pike's cabin. And when I saw who stepped off the shuttle, I said, crap, no fair. Jackie Wolf, that's at Jackie Wolf on Twitter. Captain Pike once again earned his ultimate zaddy title, showing us uh, one of the most timeless dad rules. Better clack those tongs together a few times to make sure they are working properly and don't make me turn this car around. Before the end of the episode, I made a note that I was worried that the show writers don't know what to do with, insert name here, I think Hammer, and are giving him the Troy treatment. Trot him out to make a few astute emotional points and underutilize him the rest of the time. Pete, let me pause Jackie Wolf's words for a moment to say, I think it's the honest trailer on YouTube for Next Generation. I think that's it, where they basically observe, like, Counselor Troy has totally useful powers, except this cut where she can't sense anything. And other times when she can sense things and other episodes where she can't sense the same things and so forth. So... Uh, I, I hear your words there, Jackie. And back to Jackie's words. Now that I've seen the end of the episode, I have to wonder if that wasn't the case, which at least in part informed their decision to have the episode end the way it did. The effects on the show are truly top-notch. The fear shown on the blue alien's face was amazing. Uh, great observation there, Pete. That practical makeup and the way the kind mm -hmm. of the mask was worn below the chin of the performer and there's a hump in the back which is actually yeah. the guy's head like that was a good that was a good outfit we're getting now film level prosthetics on tv like when i saw that alien i'm like that looks right out of star trek beyond where they famously had 50 different prosthetic alien makeup uh, situations for the 50 year anniversary. 
And uh, yeah, like that was really cool. Uh, hopefully we'll get a return of that species and a name. Strange New Tweets, that's at KCLYLE1, says, Oh, my, Gorn, another great episode. Given that Hemmer's screen time over the season has been about 15 seconds, it still is a bit of a shock to lose him. And of course, when people we've never met are highlighted, you know they aren't going to make it to the end of the episode. Trek horror, horror in quotes, is always a good time, and this episode did not disappoint. Great performances, cool creatures, and a heartfelt ending. Well done. I'd like to have seen Jim Kirk take on these Gorn, Farewell, Hemmer. We barely knew ye. JT Atkins, JTA is me, checks in. I've always been a not a horror movie guy, so the first scary movie I ever saw was Alien, because sci-fi, and this was an excellent Star Trek Alien episode. I enjoyed the squishy, tense fun, but uh, totally didn't anticipate the gut punch at the end, pun intended. Well done, JT. This show has all uh, all the fun and all the feels and heart. Wow. Then Hammer's sacrifice with no sci-fi get-out-of-death card. Dramatically earned and sensitively performed, but I'm going to miss that Enar. We hardly knew ye. Oh, that's two hardly knew ya yees in a row. Total kudos to Melissa C. Navia uh, for taking the funeral speech on, made even more poignant by her real-life story. Add to that the Spock Chapel hug, which played appropriately more as a connection than a romance. Star Trek isn't supposed to make me cry. Is this the alien? Uh, all this in the Alien show? I can predict a time jump either before next episode or before season two, so that we can get Laon back or Hura back. Maybe give Spock some time. Uh, oh no, with Cybok in the picture, he will now say to Spock, "Show me your pain." We shall see. Uh, sorry, will he says ask? Show me your pain. We shall see. Amazing episode. Pete, we hear from Rose uh, Ferry, Anna Rose584, who says, so intense at times and did bring that other movie franchise to mind. The crew changes are unexpected. I'm looking forward to next week for more, question mark. The station wagon dialogue was great. Pike is so 20th century. And then last, Pete, but certainly not least, from Summer of the Witch, that's at Amerowitch, uh, the message as follows. I hated this week's episode so much. To the email inbox we go, Pete, and we hear from the one, the only Stacy, who says as follows. Hi, Matt and Pete. First, I want to follow up on some of my comments from last week. It wasn't so much a criticism about Dr. Mbenga not using PPE, or at least not a writing criticism. I think it worked well for the possible idea that he was imagining everything that was going on, as you mentioned. As far as tempting fate, when Matt quoted Titanic about fate, that's how I know you don't work in a hospital lab. We have no control over what our day looks like. On to this week. Phew, this episode was a serious bait and switch. Lured us in with an amusing couple of dinner in the captain's quarter scenes. Then bam, we're in a series of horror movies. I love the celebration of the cadets finishing their rotation. And Ensign Duke, drink, getting promoted to lieutenant. Lots of sweet and funny moments there. Although Duke seems surprised by the promotion. The Starfleet really not give them a heads up when the promotion is coming? Seems odd. Though I guess they don't have to do any paperwork regarding pay increases or whatever, so maybe they can be more sneaky about promotions. And the food. Man, did it make me want waffles and bacon. I also, uh, side note, Pete, I'm reminded of the uh, Discovery episode, which granted is taking place in the, is it the 33rd century, where uh, the Admiral notes that all the food is actually there. You mm -hmm. know what? But maybe Pike's got a, got a, Got the, I don't know, got a little refrigerator out back or something. Anyhow, back to Stacy's words. I also loved Pike saying he was going to load the kids in the station wagon for a road trip. It made me think of my dad. When we were kids, he'd load us and whatever neighbor kids were around into the back of our station wagon, take us to 7-Eleven for snacks and off to the park. He called these park parties. And thankfully, none of our park parties ever went so wrong. And Pike's password, 246810, Star Trek version of ABC123, also my dad's password for a while. The rest of this episode also felt like it was made for me. I love horror movies. Being scared when you're safe at home on the couch, it's the best. And this has nods to some of the best. Alien, Predator, The Thing, and Jurassic Park all represented. It kind of felt like a finale because they wrapped up so many character arts. arcs. Uhura now wants to stay on the Enterprise. Laan is leaving to help Oriana. And Hemmer died? I did not see that coming at all, even after he got sprayed with the venom. Another well-done funeral scene. Ortega's talking about how Hemmer would make it feel less like a funeral. And Uhura's quote, The people you love most can cause you the most pain, but it's the people you love that can mend your heart when you feel broken. 
I love how current Trek is so much about found slash chosen family. I also very much appreciated that Mbenga is still struggling with the loss of his daughter. So many TV shows move on from traumatic events, their characters experience. I don't know what's left of the last episode of the season already. How did we get here already? But I'm looking forward to it for sure. As always, looking forward to your thoughts. Pete, that's from Stacy, a.k.a. Stingray, a.k.a. Trek Girl 88. But now, Matt, it's time to hear from Starfleet Command and Admiral Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1, Episode 9, the penultimate episode. Well, these Gorns are quite something different than the slow-moving Gorn with which Captain Kirk uh, was fighting. I think the makers have full freedom to fill in what the Gorn are, but still the difference is a little bit uh, too big for me. But if you forget just the episode with Kirk, then it's of course a quite nice CGI-driven episode. It gives of course a little bit the feeling of the 1978 film the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Actually, that's one of the things my wife said. Couldn't they come up with something new? But I think it's okay. We shouldn't complain. And although Leonard Nimoy is not under us anymore, it has perhaps a connection there because he was one of the actors in that film. It's a pity we lost Hammer, but we didn't see a body. So there is always a chance he is somehow coming back. He just threw himself from a cliff. Well, what's below that cliff? And it's a nice episode to see Uhura evolve into a next phase of her career and perhaps a next setting of mind. Perhaps even she wants to honor the thoughts of Hammer and that's one of the reasons she wants to continue. I will give this episode a fat 8 on IMDb. That was all for now. Greetings. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, an interesting proposition there. No body. uh, And, you know, Bruce Horak saying he will be back. Could it be as simple as that? The the body rejuvenated or something? Well, we know he's not going to freeze to death, um, given his species. I I don't think he's going to return as hammer i I think that would be really unfair you've you've sold us that uhura commits herself to starfleet because of the loss of a mentor um and to wipe that away all right yeah she would stay because he's still alive but he gets transferred off the enterprise and goes elsewhere yeah you can space skype over subspace and she's in charge of that on the ship but and i think it falls down um on uh fred's uh discussion of the slow moving adult gorn you know maybe part of the maturity cycle that we're still kind of coming to understand is that they slow down as they age, that they're not as, you know, uh, agile, but we know because of what Lon told us that none of them would have survived against it. And, you know, later we have to have Jim Kirk do a double fist punch to it. So maybe it's Kirk fighting like old man Gorn. That's, 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 that solves that particular problem there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Pete, as you mentioned, Uhura sticking with the crew here, and we are so proud that our crew is sticking with us over on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to choose from. Can't contribute right now? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts where you can help us without a monetary number associated to it give us a rating in seconds give us a review and a little while longer to any of our 30 podcast feeds so proud as always to be listener supported there particularly as we are coming out of this uh very busy last month of podcasting and obviously still plenty ahead of us uh in the near future uh when it comes to star trek 
still talking some Star Wars, some Marvel, and so forth. So thanks, as always. Pete, let's keep the Star Trek conversation going, particularly as we look ahead to the last Star Trek episode that's on the schedule for as far as things have been scheduled out, which is a scary prospect uh, because we've had unbroken Star Trek since November. Uh, so, Pete, how can people be in touch with you to talk Star Trek? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-12,617. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, followers can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word. Like it today. On the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we'll be talking Ms. Marvel next weekend. And of course, Star Trek Stranger Worlds, episode 110 here on Star Trek Sunday. Looking forward to Thor, Love and Thunder the day after that. For now, though, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. It's good to get mad sometimes. <laughs> <laughs>